0: We are in Mark chapter 1, um, it's verses 21 to 45. That's our passage. I want to give a very brief review of where we are so far. Uh, We are studying the Gospel of Mark, and the title of our sermon series is just that. It is the way of Jesus. It's what you just heard. The Gospel of Mark is one of action. Okay, Mark is one who does not mince words. He doesn't fill in a lot of details. He gets right to the point. He uses the word immediately quite often. He uses the phrase on the way. He talks about Jesus being on the way to the cross. You see, for Mark, it's not about kind of just parking and filling in all the details. Each of the four Gospels has its own character. Each of the writer's God allowed them to bring their own writing style into it. They had different audiences. The voice was a little different. You put all the four Gospels together, you get the whole picture of Jesus, his life, and his ministry. But Mark is really just, a, it's, it's quick hitting. It's right to the point we keep moving on, and so that's what we're going to do, right? And we're going to go through this whole Gospel together. But it is the shortest of the four Gospels um, We have to remember the literacy rate was very low, probably less than 10% back in Jesus' day. And so this gospel was meant to be read. Okay, It was meant to be read aloud, and so people, they sat and they heard it. And so Mark is a great storyteller. And so he moves, he doesn't get bogged down in details, which of course are important, but for him, he's a man of action. And so he tells us that Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand, right? And we saw John the Baptist preparing the way. It was all about preparing the way of Jesus. And then Mark really focuses so much more on what Jesus did rather than what he said. Okay, it's important we recognize that. So again, Mark is a man of action and really sort of the sub-theme here in Mark is discipleship. What does it look like? to follow after Jesus. What does it look like to be His disciple? How do we live it and flesh it out? How do we do those things that the bakers are doing in the Ukraine? How do we do what, how do How we take what we learn and how it grows us and then use it to serve others? And that's what Mark is all about. So let's look at this big picture again. You remember the Messiah had been promised to the nation Israel to come and to overcome sin to rescue, redeem, and reconcile people. All the way back from the Garden of Eden in Genesis, from the beginning of the story, we remember that God had set up His theocracy. Remember, we spent a whole time talking about the kingdom of God. And He said, Adam and Eve, those are going to be the ones that will represent God on earth, in His earthly kingdom. But Satan comes along, the fallen angel. We'll talk about him in a few minutes. And he comes and he usurps that authority away from Adam because they were tempted and they gave in. We call that the fall. From that time until now, Satan is called the god of this age. So as Christians, when we say the world or the world system, it is the one that our enemy has reign over. Right? God is always universally in charge. He has never given that up. But on earth, this kingdom is reigned by the enemy. Right? We don't want to forget that. And and we're going to touch on that this morning as well. And so, God promised that he would at some point in the future send his redeemer. He promised that way back in Genesis, right? And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he is that promised redeemer. He has come to take back control from Satan. He has come to offer the kingdom to the nation Israel. We know the story that they reject it. Jesus still, He goes to the cross. He dies for all sinners, for Jew and Gentile alike. And we are now, those who are, as we say, saved believers, are the church. So we are in that age of grace, the church age. We are now His representatives on earth. But Jesus said, did he not, that he would return. He would return for us. So we look forward to that. We look forward to when Jesus returns to, to take the church, us, back with him. We call that the rapture. And then Jesus returns after the, the tribulation. He comes as king, as judge, to bind Satan for the thousand years, to establish that kingdom that God had set up initially long ago back in the garden." You see, so we're in that part of the story now. So Jesus arrives on the scene. We open the chapter uh, 1 of Mark, the beginning of that second act of God's story, and we see John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. He comes preaching the kingdom, and that's where we take up today, Mark 1, 21-45, because Jesus now, listen, Jesus begins his ministry. He goes around preaching. He goes around teaching in the synagogues, and he goes around healing, right? So I want to show you a map real quick. I showed it last time just to give us a quick overview. Um, It is, you won't be able to see all the details, but in the map you'll see, you can't see it all. I just want you to see the big picture. Do you see there is Judea down sort of right in the bottom middle there in the brown, and then above that Samaria, and then above that Galilee. You see that? And then you have the Dead Sea on the bottom, and up top, small ones, the Sea of Galilee. Between the two is the River Jordan. These are all names we're familiar with. But the old idea is, I'm just showing you this, because Judea, that is where Jerusalem is, okay? And then we go up top, and we see he had to go through Samaria, right? And we see Galilee, okay, where Nazareth is. Jesus spends his time going back and forth. So we talk about him preaching or ministering in Judea. You know where that is in and around Jerusalem, and he goes up to Galilee and the cities around there. That's where we find ourselves today in the opening chapters of Mark. He is up in Galilee. He spent about a year down in Judea, in and around Jerusalem, his first year. And then he goes up into Galilee, and that's where we are today. So here's what we're going to look at, five brief things that a disciple is called to do. Again, Mark is all about discipleship. He's a man of action. So in this passage, we see that Mark is laying out, okay, in many ways, these five things that disciples are called to do. A disciple is a learner. That's how we define it. A disciple is a learner. So back in Jesus' day, there were rabbis. Wasn't Jesus called a rabbi, right? And so there were rabbis that had followers. They had a school of students. And these students would seek out a rabbi, you know, the most well-known, the best school, so to speak. And they would sit at his feet literally, and the rabbi would open the scrolls and he would read and interpret, and he would teach them, and they would learn, and the whole objective was to follow that rabbi and what he said and do what he did. So we as the church are called disciples of Jesus, so we are to learn what he says and to do what he did. All right? And so Mark starts talking about his early ministry. So we're going to see. That first and foremost, as disciples, that we are to recognize and submit to His authority. That we are to be aware of and prepare for spiritual warfare, something we don't talk often about in the church. We are to be compassionate and merciful like Jesus. We are to take time to rest. Take time to rest. And then finally, we are to be relational in the way that we interact So we're going to look at each one of those briefly and the part of this passage that goes along with it. So remember this. uh, We had finished the the book of um, Malachi, the end of the Old Testament, and we talked all about those 400 silent years. Part of what was happening is you had these groups of Jews that were developing during those 400 years of silence, the Pharisees, we know about them, the Sadducees, the scribes who were part of the Pharisees, okay? That was happening. And what also started happening during those 400 years is the Jews started meeting in synagogues. So there was one temple in Jerusalem. Let's make sure we understand the distinction. There was one temple in Jerusalem for the high holy days. Everybody would come, all Jews from all around would come, and they would worship in the temple. But in all the different cities where Jews lived, where there was 10 or more, they would establish a synagogue. We can kind of look at it as a church, right? You drive down the street and there's lots of churches, Christians that are meeting in churches, right? But the Jews had they had one temple, but many synagogues in their areas. That's where Jesus went. He went right to where the people were. Because often as you read through the gospel, you'll see those words over and over again. And he went into the synagogue. He went to the synagogue teaching and preaching. Why? That's where the rabbis went. The rabbis went to the synagogue, they opened the scroll, and they taught, right? And they read it, and they sat down and they taught. And so Jesus says, well, that's where I am to go. And he goes where they have gathered, and he goes and he reads the words. You look at Luke chapter 4, it shows the beginning of his ministry, right? Where he opens the scrolls in the synagogue, and he talks about declaring the day of the Lord, and he has come to set the oppressed free. That's what Jesus is doing. So the first thing that we want to see is that disciples, if we are following Jesus' example, following the way of Jesus, the first thing is we recognize that he is the one with authority. He's the one that has authority. So as his followers, we are to submit to his authority. And so instead of reading the whole passage all together, we're just going to read it bit by bit. Here's what it says in verses 21 and 22. And they went to Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. You see that? So right away, he comes into the synagogue. The scribes were part of the the, the Pharisees, right? They were the ones who sort of knew about the law, and they were the the ones who were um, experts on the law, and they would help to teach, and they would help the rabbis. And so he comes in, Jesus does, he teaches with one with authority, not like the scribe. He describes kind of like they, they were very proud. They had the authority to do this. And here comes Jesus basically saying, I have the true authority. And people started to recognize it. So as disciples, as followers of Jesus, the first thing we recognize is that all authority rests in him and not at us. That's why we use a word like submit or submission. Because disciples sit at the feet of the master. And when you do that, when you sit at somebody's feet, are you not showing just an attitude of submission that you are yielding to their authority? That they are the ones who know. And so as disciples and followers of Jesus, he is the one who has authority. He is the word, right? He came and taught so his words had authority, but don't we know that he is the word? How does the Gospel of Matthew start? That he is the word, right? He is the word of God, he himself. So he has full and ultimate authority. When Jesus, just before this passage, when Mark tells us in the other Gospels that Jesus was tempted in the desert, you remember that? How did Jesus start fighting out against the enemy, Satan? How did he do it? Did He just cast them out? No. What did He use? Words. He used the very Word of God. And that's what we are to do as well. Recognize the authority of Scripture because that, the written Word, always points us to the living Word. See that? So Jesus has the authority. And so He should have that authority in our lives. He used the Word against Satan in the desert. He's, we're going to see it how He does against demons in a moment. He came and he taught in the synagogue. It was, what a great picture. It was the living word, preaching and teaching the written word that he actually authored. Isn't that something? It's like reading his own book. It's what he was doing. He was teaching. But his actions came and validated his authority. So he read it, but look, then he did it. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're going to see. Again, Mark is setting the stage. He's saying he came with authority. And then check out what he does. And that's what we're going to see. Because we are to follow Jesus. So follow his words, but then do what he says. Not to be just hearers only, but to be doers of the word. All Right? So the second thing is that disciples are not only to submit to his authority, but listen, we are to be prepared for spiritual warfare. Look at 23 to 28. Immediately, so here he is teaching in the synagogue, immediately... There was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. That means he was demon-possessed. That's the same words in the Greek. Unclean spirit, he, he was possessed by a demon. He cried out, so he's in the synagogue. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth, says the demon? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once Jesus' fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So this shows us a lot. Again, Jesus preaching and teaching and acting with authority, but he has authority over the demons. Now, you know, as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking, how do we apply that to our lives, right? We know that there are places in this world, for whatever reason, and there's many that we could talk about, where it seems like there is more prevalent demonic activity. As Christians, we have to recognize it's true, it exists. We need to be prepared for spiritual warfare, whatever that looks like, all right? We don't always or quite often encounter that here in America, do we? We don't. Not the way it's described here, a way we might hear about it from missionaries in other parts of the world, and we can spend a lot of time talking about demons and Satan. We do that in our theology class on Wednesday nights, nights. but here's the thing. We need to recognize Jesus has authority over the demons. He casts them out. He does it by His words. They listen. They recognize Him and His authority. They call Him the Holy One of God. They say, we know who you are. And He casts them out. And everybody was amazed. And they're saying, check out His authority. He even commands the unclean spirits, and they Obey him. So, even the power of Satan through his demons, Jesus has authority over that. So, as his disciples, what does that mean to us? That we are to recognize, even if in your whole life you never come across a demon possessed person, we are to recognize that the spiritual realm is real, there is spiritual warfare, and we, right, we as believers, as a church, are to recognize it and followers of Jesus to be ready to be prepared. And how do we do that? We claim the name of Jesus. We stand on his ground, on his authority, in all that we say and do. Let me just mention a few things for context here and clarity. Demons are mentioned by every New Testament writer except the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There are more, listen, than 100 references in the New Testament alone the demons are demon possession. Can you imagine that? I think we kind of skip over that because we recognize it's there, but we don't want to like focus on it. Over 100 references to that. In the New Testament, Jesus cast out many demons in his earthly ministry. The demons are simply fallen angels who rebelled against God with Satan. We know there's at least two kinds. There are those who are loose and have some kind of freedom that are active. We see that in Ephesians 6. There are some demons that are called confined, right? Some of those that are confined, they're confined temporarily. Some are permanently. There's a lot of detail there. So my point is this. The New Testament talks about it. So we can learn about demons because they're in there, right? We know that there is spiritual warfare going on, but Jesus always wins. If we are his disciples, we claim victory in Jesus. Those demons, they have an intelligence, they have a personality. They are a spirit. They simply act on behalf of Satan to thwart God's plan and to rob him of glory. The last thing I'll say about them is that, and this is important, and I hope you recognize this, but demons cannot, I believe this wholeheartedly, cannot ever possess a believer. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit within us, right? But what can a demon do to believers? He can oppress us but never possess us. He can influence us. He can try to rob God of worship and glory through our lives. We never want to open the door to that. See, there is a kingdom against kingdom warfare going on here. Because remember, God sent Jesus as that promised redeemer. He promised way back in Genesis to come and reclaim the throne over this earth and this world from Satan who usurped it from God back in the garden. See that? So Jesus comes, so there is this now. The war is on. The battle is on. And that's why the demons are afraid, and they say, okay, we see, we know who you are, the Holy One of God. They recognize now is the time. And Jesus is using his authority to overcome the way that these demons are possessing these people, right? And so we see that Jesus has authority over demons. The Next one. As disciples, we are, and this is part of what Jesus did through casting out demons and healing the sick, he shows compassion and mercy. Because Jesus didn't only cast out demons to show his authority over the demons. He did it for the benefit of the people, didn't he? I mean, he was healing them. He was restoring them. He was setting them free, was he not? So Jesus cares about the needs of people he cares about our sickness he has compassion and mercy so we are to do the same verses 29 to 34 immediately jesus left the synagogue he entered the house of simon and andrew with james and john remember the first four disciples that he called from last week now simon's mother-in-law this is simon peter okay Simon's mother-in-law, we don't know anything about Simon's wife, but it says Simon has a mother-in-law. And she's at the house. Jesus goes back there with his four new disciples. And Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever. And immediately they told Jesus about her. So verse 31, and he came. He took the mother-in-law Jesus did by the hand. He lifted her up and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and oppressed by the demons. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Can you imagine that scene? The whole city. And he healed many. I think that means all of them. He healed all of the many that were there. They were sick with various diseases. He cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Because the time was not yet right. Jesus says that often in the Gospel of Mark, to be silent. He's going to say it to a leper in just a moment. He says it to the demons, be silent. They know who he is. It was not yet time for Jesus to reveal his full mission and authority and all of that. Okay, And you'll see why in just a moment, because of what the the healed leper does. So what do we learn about showing compassion and mercy? Jesus has authority over sickness, no matter what's going on in our lives. Jesus has authority over it. I spent the whole week practically in bed being sick. And you've been sick recently, it's been going around. Just laid me out. And the worst is when you're sick when it's like 85 and sunny outside. you like, I shouldn't be sick. Like, I should be sick in February, right? Not in the middle of June. Even if it's the littlest cold or if it's something that's life-threatening, no matter what you may be experiencing, Jesus has authority over it. Now, I'm not saying that we name it and we claim it and we're healed. But at the same token, are we not, as his followers, to recognize his authority over sickness and bring our own maladies and those of others to him? Every Wednesday night, we have a prayer gathering here. There are prayer warriors that come with long lists of people that we are praying for on a regular basis, many of whom are sick. Do you ever notice that when you're going through your prayer journal and your prayer list? How the vast majority are people that need physical healing. We are broken people living in a broken world. But Jesus knows it. And he comes and brings compassion and mercy. So very simply, as his disciples and his followers, we are to show compassion and mercy towards others. Didn't we hear that with the bakers this morning? And what they are doing being the hands and feet of Jesus, right? and showing compassion and mercy for those that are marginalized. There were so many people that were marginalized. They came after sundown, it says. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. And so they were not permitted to heal or to do any work on the Sabbath. So as soon as the sun goes down on Saturday, Sabbath is over, and it says at sundown they brought all who were sick and oppressed. They heard about what Jesus did with the demon-possessed man in the synagogue, whole town comes now it does not say that jesus closed his eyes and said you're all healed go home it just says that he healed them wouldn't it be just like jesus to meet them one-on-one to heal them how long did it take him the sun was already going down probably all night he is showing mercy and compassion But also, let's not miss this. Isn't it awesome in verse 31 when it says Jesus took the mother-in-law's hand, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, lifted her up, she was healed. What did she start doing immediately? Serving. Right? That should be our reaction as disciples. Jesus answers our prayers. He brings healing. And what's our response? We serve. We go, we tell others, and we help others we are to go and to serve others even while he's healing us see jesus compassion his mercy it runs deep it doesn't just stop at our fallen flesh he heals our sicknesses but his shed blood on the cross of calvary it penetrates deep into our sin stained heart it washes us clean from crimson red to pure white we are made clean it is a cure that restores eternal health. Jesus and only Jesus brings a remedy of hope that this world can never offer to anyone. So it says he healed many. He cares about each individual need. But then just as the mother-in-law did, as soon as she was healed, she went to serve others, and that's what we are to do as his disciples. There's a a great um, saying, I've mentioned it before, something that it just paints a beautiful picture that, listen, as disciples of Jesus, we are very simply, we are beggars showing other beggars where to find the bread. Right? Because we have found the bread of life, Jesus Christ. So we are still those beggars needing Jesus to heal us and to guide us and to show compassion and mercy on us. But aren't we then going around saying, guess what? I found the bread. Come, let me show you. Go to the marginalized. Tell them where you found that bread of life. Because we're all just beggars. So we get healed. God answers our prayers. He sends Jesus for us. We believe in Him for salvation. And then we go around in all to Judea, Samaria, Galilee to the uttermost parts of the world, he tells us. And we are to tell all the other beggars where to find the bread. It's the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. Moving on. Two more quick ones. We also see in verses 35 to 39 that as disciples, we are to take time to rest and recharge. Now, for some of us, we don't need to be told that. Some of us were really good at resting. But hey, but you know what? It's very important. And why? Because I think more so I'm speaking to those of us who really don't know how to rest and relax. Those of us who don't recognize that we need to take time away and engage in what we call the care of our soul, soul care. That's what Jesus did. Verse 35, right after, listen, he spent all night healing the multitudes. Could you imagine how Jesus felt? It says in verse 35, rising very early in the morning, even while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there, what did he do? He prayed. And Simon and those who were with him, they searched for him. And when they found him, they said, hey, everyone's looking for you. Jesus said to them, let's go on to the next towns now that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He continued to do that. A day in the life of Jesus Christ. Preaching in the synagogues, healing the sick, casting out demons, all in the name of bringing in the kingdom. That's what he was offering. He was offering hope and reconciliation and a new life. But look at what we we needed to take from this. As disciples, if we're following Jesus' example, we need to take a break too. Jesus didn't just go and hang out on the beach. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Some of you are going to do that today. But look at what Jesus did. When we're talking about in light of ministry and serving Him, Jesus got away from everybody, even while it was still dark, and He spent time with the Father. Jesus Himself. It's a great picture of his deity and humanity. If he is God himself, why does he go to be with the Father? Because he recognizes he needs to keep that connection. He's being subordinate, and he's being obedient to the Father's ultimate authority, and Jesus is also setting the example for us. After a long night of healing and serving God, he goes away and he spends time in prayer for refreshment and renewal. Do you do that enough in your life? Do you do that? Do you give your body? Do you give your mind? Do you give your spirit time to rest and to recharge? We all kind of do that differently. But we need to do that. And I you know, I, I dare say that you often see in churches this mentality that if I'm just busy about being at church and doing the work of the church, that somehow then I'm good and there's no time to rest. Do you think Jesus is saying, no, no. We are to be busy in doing God's work in the church and outside these four walls. It's what he calls us to do. But let us never neglect that time of rest. Just doing more and more work is not necessarily the right thing. More is not always more. See that? So we need to take time to rest and to pray. To reconnect with God. When we pray, what are those things that are happening? Right? It quiets our minds. It brings peace to our soul. It brings comfort to our heart. We reconnect with the Holy Spirit and He prepares us for what's next. It's often been said that we are are too busy not to pray. Right? We need to come before God. Maybe it's a solitary place to get away from it all and pray. Because when we do that, we stop relying on ourselves. and We put the authority back in God's hands. See that? When we're just going and going and going, what happens is we get further and further away from letting God be in control, and we're the ones that are now taking control. So let's not think that it's a waste of time to go spend time caring for our souls, to rest and to find rejuvenation And renewal and to be recharged for whatever God has next. And then finally, the last section, verses 40 to 45, we are to be relational. Here's why I say that. It says in verse 40, A leper came to him, imploring him. So Mark gives us one more example. Kneeling to before Jesus, saying, If you will, you can make me clean. That's what the leper says. Right away, he's recognizing Jesus' authority. If you will, You can make me clean, he says to Jesus. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, Jesus did, touched him, said to him, I will be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. So Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, saying, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them, the priests. Does he do that? But when he went out, he began to talk freely, to spread the news, and here's what happened, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places. People were coming to him from every quarter. See, Jesus knew what he was doing. It wasn't time for him yet. He knew he had a strategy and a plan. He said to the leper, just tell the priest, follow the law of Moses, go back so you can be ceremonially clean again. But he goes and he tells everybody. So Jesus had to kind of move out in the shadows in a sense, see? In the desolate places. Let's not miss this. Jesus took the place of the leper. The leper who is in desolate places was made clean and restored to his community. Jesus who is in community heals the leper. But then because of what the leper does, he is now cast out into desolate places. What a great picture of Jesus on the cross and what he did for you and for me. So Jesus is now cast out. Final thing about this, just like Jesus did with Simon Peter's mother-in-law when he reached out and grabbed her hand and lifted her up, how does he heal the leper? He does not just say, you're clean. Sometimes he does that. But in this case, he touches him. Now, it's said in the law of Moses, if you did that, you were made unclean. You were ceremonially unclean, so you could not come and bring sacrifices because you touched the leper. Not only that, now you're going to get leprosy. Does Jesus care about that? Jesus touches the leper. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. I think in many ways, it shows us how we are to be with others, to be relational. You know, relationships can be messy. Being part of a church community. We're all dysfunctional, aren't we? We're one big happy dysfunctional family. As they say, don't we put the fun in dysfunctional? Hey, right? But we are the church. We are to invest in other people. We are to be relational. In a way, it's a picture of the incarnation. God took upon flesh to come and live among us. We are to go and to live among the marginalized to be there to touch those to, to lend a helping hand and not just stay off in a distance and say god bless you and god be with you but to get into the trenches as we say and do life together with our church and then with others people that are in need invest in other people because in god's eyes people are always worth it you see jesus touches the leper can you imagine how that felt to him Not only was another person touching him, how many years it had probably been since another human had touched him? Don't we all need some kind of human touch now and again, don't we? He hadn't had that for how long? Jesus showing compassion and mercy once again. He comes and he touches the leper. May we do the same as disciples and followers of Jesus. And I end with these two verses to kind of just bring it all together. As we are learning it, as we are growing from Jesus, we are to live it out by serving those around us, serving those in the church and then out, because we represent the hope of Christ to the world. We are to show compassion and mercy to a desperate and needy world. Look at what it says in Acts 1, through 6-8. Jesus instructing His disciples, He says, when it, says, it says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, he came to bring the kingdom, and they're like, now, Jesus, now? What does Jesus say? It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's that word again. But you will receive power. He's telling disciples what their job is. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you so that you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Remember that map? Starting in Jerusalem where they are, then Judea a little bit further, then Samaria, then to the ends of the earth. So he's saying, the kingdom will come. I will return. Until then, here's what you are to do. Be my disciples. Show compassion and mercy. Be prepared for that spiritual warfare. Always submit to my authority please take time to rest care for your very soul but be relational will you then go to where the people have a need and he says you're all gonna you're gonna do it not in your own power and your own strength but by the power and strength of the holy spirit and finally that very familiar passage in matthew 28 we call it the great commission and jesus came and said to them what there's that word all what authority in heaven and earth has been given to me that's jesus saying that so go therefore he's telling his disciples go make disciples of who all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always even to the end of the age. There is our marching orders. There's our commission as disciples. We are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus as he is on the way to the cross. Are we willing to deny ourselves, to put selfish desires aside, to take up our cross and follow him? That's our call as disciples, to follow the way of Jesus, tell others where to uh, find the bread of life, walking with the Lord until the end of the age when He returns. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this precious time together, all that You're doing in and through us, God. We're very thankful. And Lord, as we conclude our time together, we, we know, Lord, that it is Your desire to transform us, to change us into the likeness of Jesus, that we are to be more and more like our Master as disciples, Father, you call us through your Son to always recognize His authority and to put our pride aside, to take time for rest, to be, to be compassionate and merciful towards others, to recognize that there is a spirit realm and, and that war is on. But God, we know that you have claimed the victory and in Jesus, we can claim victory as well as your church. But God, until you return for us, We want to be found doing those things and being your representatives here on earth. God, we look forward to your return. But Lord, until that day, until that glorious day, Lord, give us the strength through your Holy Spirit to reach the marginalized, to meet those who are sick, who are in need, meet them right where they are, to touch them, Lord, to come alongside of them, to walk with them, to show them where to find the bread of life. God, may we speak and live the gospel each and every day. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, as always, in Jesus' name.